This is Garrison Arinder. I'm a second year OTD student at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and you're listening to the MyOT Journey Podcast. Hi, my name is Nicole Talbot. I am an occupational therapy assistant student at the Community College of Rhode Island in Newport. And this is Dr. Robin Axelrod. On my drive to work one morning, I thought, how could I promote unity between OT and OTA students? How could I foster communication and leadership skills and promote our amazing profession? Welcome to my OT Journey podcast. We're going to be interviewing um, a friend of mine, a former boss. Um, he is the OT at the TK Martin Center at Mississippi State University, um, and he is the Certified Drivers Rehabilitation Specialist um, here. Eric, do you think you can tell us a little about what you do here? Yeah, I, uh, I think you left out mentor. 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 <laughs> Life coach slash mentor as well. Yes. But that's I, all right. I mean, we'll I think get everybody, to that. Yeah. yeah, that's right around the story. Uh, spoiler alert. So, yeah, I, uh, I'm, a, I'm an occupational therapist. I'm also a certified driver rehabilitation specialist here at the TK Martin Center located at Mississippi State University. That's awesome. Um, what? Um, so I work in the field of assistive technology overall. Okay. The TK Martin Center is a comprehensive assistive technology center. Uh, so under this, we house uh, uh, driver's rehabilitation, which also includes uh, vehicle modifications. We do seating and mobility uh, evaluations, which is setting people up for wheelchairs, uh, but not just wheelchairs. could be scooters, power chair, manual chair. Uh, could be even uh, office desk chair, if that's something that's needed. Um, even... Uh, a tractor. If if you are a farmer who has a disability, and maybe uh, uh, this falls under a couple categories. Actually, you have a, a couple unique things. So maybe a, a farmer who has a spinal cord injury now is going to be uh, on a tractor and needs a cushion for that tractor. Maybe mm-hmm. needs some sort of a ergonomic assistance for that tractor or lawnmower, things like that. So uh, stuff you sit on. Um, yeah. Yeah. Seating and mobility. Uh, and then we also uh, we do a few other things too. We do job site accommodations. So if, uh, we do computer accessibility accommodations, um, and we also have a preschool upstairs for special needs kids. Wow! So you do pretty much a little bit of everything. I'm a jack of all trades. As uh, most OTs are. Yeah, you kind of have to be. Uh, yeah. And it's it's not one of those things that you really set out to be either. No. So I just wanted to rewind a little bit, and if you could just tell the listeners a little bit about your journey of becoming an OT and what that looks like. Sure, sure. Um, well, uh, because everyone can't see, I'm actually yeah. a paraplegic as well. Uh, T10 uh, paraplegic, had a car wreck when I was 15, and that had no bearing on my journey to OT whatsoever. Um, which is really surprising, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know like, oh, wow, when, when you had your occupational therapist, they enlightened and inspired. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm so grateful for my occupational therapist. Uh, but my sister was the one who was more so influenced by her. She, my sister's two years older than me. Her name's Alicia uh, Knox Goff. And when I was going through the most difficult time of my life, uh, struggling in every which way you could possibly imagine, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Uh, I thought God had totally, you know, left me. Uh, little did I know he had some amazing plans for me in my life. But, uh, you know, she, she saw a lot of stuff that I was too busy wrapped up in difficulty to see. 
And so a few years later, when she graduated high school, she wanted to go into the uh, medical field and eventually landed on occupational therapy, called my previous occupational therapist, spoke to her a little bit about it, and decided that's what she wanted to be. So I was like, great, that's awesome. You're an occupational <laughs> therapist. I, uh, I'm going into business school. And, uh, so that was great for everybody, you know, until I got about uh, three or four days into business school and realized that was the worst mistake that I'd ever made in my life. And so I'm hearing Alicia come home on the weekends, and she's talking about this these awesome classes that she's taking, all this fun stuff. And I said, well, that sounds like a heck of a lot more fun than what I'm doing. Uh, and so a long story short, she spoke to one of her professors, uh, and uh, his name's Peter Giroux works at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Who's my current teacher. Current teacher. Yeah. Uh, wow. And I and I thought, you know, is it even a possibility? I don't know. Uh, so um, I so is this the long story? You want me to give the yeah man the full story here? Um, so after after some uh, contemplation and prayer about this, and I thought, man, this is a is a huge deal to, to swap your major over. I don't think anyone really does it lightly. Right. Uh, and so, and in, and also too, I wanted to make sure that I could fulfill actually being an occupational therapist. I don't think, you know, if you cannot perform the duties of an occupational therapist, then you shouldn't be an occupational therapist. I think yeah. it's a, a reasonable uh, conclusion to come to. Uh, so, I mean, I, I would never become a, a construction worker. You know, I mean, that's not it's yeah. just not in the cards for me. Yeah. <laughs> okay? And so I. Uh, that's why I'm not going to be a basketball player. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so. I am talking to my sister, talking to uh, this professor, and we're just going back and forth over pros and cons and can I do this? And, you know, and also, so I'd had my car wreck. I would had my injury when I was 15 years old. And so by this time, I would be, let me see, roughly 20, 21. So not, not that far removed from a spinal cord injury. You know, and you have a spinal cord injury right smack dab in the middle of puberty. Yeah. That's just, I mean, talk about cruel and unusual punishment. Uh, so I'm still trying to get acclimated to life in a wheelchair, and I'm thinking, am I am I even good enough to, to go on to this to be able to help others? Uh, yeah. So wow. it seemed like uh, something that would that I really did want to do. Like after I really learned what occupational therapy was, I didn't even fully understand what occupational therapy was. And I had an occupational therapy. <laughs> like, oh, the one who helps you put pants on, right? I'm like, what do I want to do? I want to help people put pants on for the rest of my life. I don't want to help people put pants on. That's crazy. I already did that. Yeah. I've got that mastered. So, uh, anyways, we, I went, I finally ended up coming, going to the university of Mississippi medical center meeting with, uh, uh, with Peter, and we went through everything. I'm talking, I questioned him to death. I said, I don't want to get, you know, two years into this thing, and you come back and go like, oh, wow, we forgot about this part of it. You won't be able to do it, and you, so you won't be able to graduate. So sorry for your luck. You just wasted two oh. years of your life. So did y'all, like, go through, um, like, classrooms and stuff like that just to see, like, okay, what is, um, what's the setup? Am I going to be able to go through that? Mm-hmm. Um, went through classrooms went through the the biggest difficulty that we faced was the anatomy lab oh my gosh yeah i did the anatomy lab and it was on these raised tables yeah the seventh floor of a hospital exactly so here i am in this anatomy lab and one thing too like in my life at that point i'm also i'm just like everybody else i don't well i feel like most people 
I don't want to cut on dead people. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just be honest. The last thing that I want in my life is for somehow for this cadaver to fall off and yeah. like land on me, knock me backwards out of my – This is, I mean, this was just the worst-case scenario that I had imagined. I like, think this dead cadaver is going to land on me. I'm going to be scarred for life. I'm going to scream like a little girl because I will. I'll scream like a little girl. And I, I think of myself as a manly man, but I will scream like a little girl if this happens to me, and I don't want as, – As any manly man would. Absolutely. Cadaver. Right. So we go through, and I don't know how the I don't know how everybody else's cadaver labs are set up in these tanks with these cadavers. Ours, uh, it's these rectangular tanks, and you crank, uh, you you crank them up. It's just like a, a, a pulley lever, you know. You crank them, they raise to the top, and then uh, the the table that they're laying on is perforated, so the the liquids fall through, and the but the the problem was is one thing that it's set up pretty high. So it's on these uh, casters as well. So the table's set up pretty high, and when you unfold the top of the table or the the lid to the cadaver box, when they fold down, they sit lower than the bottom of the tank. So what we did is I said, well, can we, you know, typically everyone in a test moves from one cadaver to the next to the next to the next. Yeah. And... They have things pinned, uh, and is that is this somewhat like how you guys do, Nikki? So the perk of my program was we didn't have to work with cadavers, hmm. um, just because I did the assistant program. We it was not a requirement. We did get to go and observe them in the right. lab, but there was no cutting or dead gotcha. or anything like that. But just like any like lab practical where you walk to this table and yeah. there's a thing and you get like 30 seconds to answer and then walk to the next one, mm-hmm. I think most people are pretty familiar. Yeah. So what, the, what we did is I uh, was looking at these tables and I said, well, can we just take the casters off of them? That would drop them off, uh, you know, a good two or three inches lower. <clears throat> and so uh, they, she said and, – and this is one thing that I respect the uh, the lab professor for – is she said no because that would be um, – uh, she had her reasons. I'll, I'll, uh, uh, I can't remember all of them exactly. I think it was just like that would be problematic for everybody. Uh, and so I was like, okay, um, let's figure something else out. So I said, what if we just do one table? And she said, okay, that could be doable. We, we very well may possibly do that. And I said, and then the, the, uh, the lid to the cadaver uh, tank, what if we just took those off and you know, laid them off to the side, and then whenever it came back time, just laid them back on top. And so that's what we eventually did is, is during the test, um, we just – I had my one table with all the short people in class, and they all joined me. And we uh, we took – the casters were taken off that one tank. We had a stretcher that we would take the, the lid of the cadaver tank off, put the lid on, over here so that I could pull underneath it as well. And on test day, uh, I kind of – I, I I had what I thought was uh, reasonable accommodation, yeah. and where she would uh, write up a special test for me uh, with pictures and say, you know, what is this muscle? It's inferior to this or posterior to that, uh, and which, you know, what do you think it is? And I would say, well, this. And even then, she she would she would really help me out. She would say, hey, you know, I see on this question, this is what you answered. Are are you saying that this is posterior to this muscle or anterior to this, you know, vein, whatever? And I'll say, oh, no, it's, it's the one posterior to that. She's like, oh, well, you, did, you got that wrong. And I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> it is really remarkable to hear how much you advocated for yourself and were like proactive in finding these resolutions. 
So you could go through this program. Yeah, you know, I mean, I I just wanted to be an OT. I don't I don't think I feel like that's reasonable for anyone. You know, I had we had one time a while back. I had a an instance where uh make a long story short, there was a guy who was nonverbal, but he had an Ogcom device. And uh, I had something happen, and then an OT friend of mine said, Eric, you have to be the voice for this person. You have to advocate for them. And uh, she was like, because nobody else will. And I said, well, he will. I said, let him advocate for himself. And she said, well, Eric, he's nonverbal. I said, well, he, uh, what did we do get him a communication device yeah. for? Wow. I said, if he wants to advocate for himself, let him advocate for himself. I'm not his boss. I'm not the one. And I'm, I'm a, a huge proponent. If you want to advocate for people with disabilities, then you go right ahead. But my feeling is, as a an occupational therapist and a paraplegic, is, I mean, I had to advocate for myself, and I fought for it, but if everyone else is fighting for this thing for you, do you really want it that badly? Do you really, will you really appreciate it once you have it? And if you can give them the ability to advocate for themselves, then, then they can do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what our job is, is to empower our, our patients, our clients. And I feel like the guy who was nonverbal, who had the outcome device, we had empowered him to advocate for himself. Yeah. Wow. I love that hearing your story of, of like going through the school with your professors. Obviously, they're they are OT professors, but it was like a, it was just a giant comprehensive activity analysis, which is kind of the mm-hmm. biggest thing for us. Oh. It's like let's go to this classroom and let's see how we're going to do anatomy, and then we're going to see how we can do anatomy lab and and. I assume things like parking and, and stuff like that, everything. Yeah, it was because we have at, uh, uh, at UMC, everyone parks a couple miles away and takes a shuttle into where classes are. And it's horrible. Yeah, but there <laughs> but there are there were cha- – so parking's changed a little bit since, since I left, but there were two handicapped parking spots at the front. Uh, you know, I think they have the parking gate right there uh, now. Right in front of that parking gate was two handicapped parking spots. And so they were like, yeah, we're cool with you parking there. Don't worry about it. So uh, I parked there, and you know we also had to think not just classroom to classroom, but we had to think in the future the the physical demands of being an occupational therapist in each one of these classes. And you know if I have someone, I mean one of the biggest things that we worry about in the clinic is if someone has a fall, are you are you going to catch them? Yeah. So we had to think about uh, people who are going to be falling. Uh, we had to think about all these different things. Uh, and honestly, we I think we all knew, like, we can't possibly think about every single thing that we're going to run into. But right now we have reasonable, I have a reasonable amount of faith to believe that I can go through this and complete it. And my professors all, to the best of their ability, said we've thought through everything and we don't think there's anything that we can't, you know, uh, work around. And so the only thing that I really couldn't do, I had some difficulty with um, – in some of the treatments, uh, you know, you really have to be physical with the patient. Yeah. You have to make sure that they aren't falling, uh, going to fall off the mat. You have to make sure that you're uh, able to catch them if they fall. We actually had a, a one of my classmates was about six foot two. Um, oh I know a good two twenty five, two thirty, <laughs> uh, big guy. Uh, and so we were, uh, we set up a um, just a um, uh, kind of a lab, a little empathy lab there. And I said, okay, look, his name is Wesley. I said, Wesley, I just want you to fall, man. And he was like, really? I said, yeah. And so our, our professor's there. I've got a gate belt around him, and he's acting. He's he's got his walker there as if he's walking, and I've got him by the gate belt. And um, so I have him. Uh, uh, so he's he's tall. So he's 
his waist is, you know, about at my neck or a little bit lower. So I've, uh, I'm, I'm reaching up, um, and I've kind of got it to where my elbow is tucked in as close to me as possible so that I can easily pull him back towards me. And the brakes are off of my chair. And so my thought, my thinking process is that I'm just, whenever I see those knees buckle, I'm going to pull him in. Uh, so that he's sitting on my lap, I'm going to absorb his weight and just grab a hold of him, and then we'll we'll roll backwards together. And so this is what goes – this is what should have transpired. <laughs> uh, but the professor who was there thought to himself – and I and I have a very tippy wheelchair because I like, uh, I like a tippy chair. And so my professor who was there thought, oh, I don't want them to roll too far. I'll put my foot under Eric's back oh, tire. Gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and so – so he he stopped us, but um, we didn't we didn't roll back uh, uh, as far as what we had thought, but we didn't tip over backwards either. So oh, it was okay. it was a success, you know. And I, I did feel comfortable that if I ever had someone who was going to, uh, I mean, uh, first off, if don't put someone on my caseload who's going to be yeah. you know three hundred pounds. <laughs> I mean, let's just be real here, you know. Uh, but uh, within a reasonable. Uh, uh, weight limit a reasonable individual i could catch them i feel like i, I felt comfortable with 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 that but the one thing that I, I just could not do is is i couldn't transfer somebody my uh my roommate uh his name's tommy gazaway was also an occupational therapist who's a year ahead of me and we sat in our apartment for hours one night trying to figure this out <laughs> both of us put our heads together and we finally looked at each other and just said hoyer lift yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. What is uh, that? <laughs> or yeah, or, or a Hoyer lift, or you know, another clinician in there can transfer them over. So well, that's pr- pretty easy. <laughs> I don't know if there'd be anyone in a better situation to like teach someone else how to do a, a um like a sliding board transfer or something in and out of their wheelchair than you though. Yeah, I I ended up the um, dental hygiene students needed someone to come over and teach them how to transfer people. So on the uh, on the test, what I did is I had to articulate clearly as as possible how to perform a transfer because if if let's just say that i had a family member there who this person's going home and they're going to have to be transferred from a wheelchair to a bed and they're going to be uh you know uh, dependent this person is going to have to be transferring them anyway so we may as well get a jump start on this me teach them how to perform a transfer you know in the clinic or wherever we are uh and so it ended up really working out that's awesome yeah Speaking about sort of um, your personal story and how you sort of got to where you are, mm-hmm. um, how do you think that uh, affected um, how you approach OT like on a daily basis? Oh. Being a paraplegic, I I problem solve in different ways. Um, I mean, I, I had to learn about task analysis before I even knew what task analysis was. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> I, I really did. I, I Whenever it came to task analysis, it was like the easiest thing in the world to me because I've been doing it for years already. I've been breaking down these very difficult tasks. I, uh, you know, for instance, I, I had one day where I'm a hunter, so I uh, take a four-wheeler with me wherever I, I go. I, I had, when I was younger, I and had my injury. I fished off a four-wheeler, hunted off a four-wheeler. I rode on a four-wheeler for fun with friends. <laughs> and so I, <clears throat> this is one thing that, you know, loading a, a, a backing my truck up to a trailer, loading the four-wheeler onto a trailer is things that I had gotten my friends to do. Mm-hmm. 
until one day I was sitting at the house waiting on a friend to come by, help me load everything up. And I was just like, you know what? This is stupid. I, I can find a way to do this. It's like, surely it's not that difficult. So I sat there and I said, okay, thing number one, hook the trailer up. That's not too bad. Back the truck up as close as I can. And uh, it's, it's a very heavy trailer, so I could try to manhandle it, or I could get ratchet straps and ratchet it as close to the truck as I can if I'm if I'm off a little bit. So got that, did it, and then came the actual loading of the four-wheeler, which I can get on the four-wheeler and drive it up on the trailer, but how do I get back into my chair for this? <laughs> said, okay, so let me break this down. Let me think about it. Uh, I'm, I'm, start, I'm assessing the trailer, assessing the four-wheeler, assessing my chair, and I thought... You know, I, I know, I've got it. I could drive the four-wheeler onto the trailer and then use my own spasticity to help out. So I'll slide down the side of the four-wheeler. My, my legs will kick out. I'll have a muscle spasm. So they'll, my legs will go out over the side of the trailer. So I'm just essentially lowering myself down the side of my four-wheeler onto where the footplate is. <laughs> Like in the seated position because I'm having a, a, a muscle spasm at the same time. So sit on this foot plate and then hop over to the wheel well of the trailer. And then I've placed my wheelchair right beside the wheel well. So I hop into it. Wow. So it's, I mean, is it the easiest way to load a four-wheeler? No, but I got no, it done. But yeah. Figured it out. Yeah. So when I, I already had this way of thinking of just, you know, all you have to do is just break this stuff down into small tasks. And so, yeah, when I, when I started learning about task analysis and, uh, you know, that was already well developed in me. You're like, oh, that's just the name for the thing that I've already been doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've been doing it and you didn't even realize it. Exactly. Uh-huh. Um, I want to back up a little bit just to talk about school and do you have, like, is there anything you wish you would have known as an OT student that you know now? Hmm. Um, there's a moment, and I I remember my old um, roommate telling me this after he had, I was still in school, and he had been out practicing for about uh, probably six, eight months. And he said, there's this moment when you kind of step back, and it all clicks, and it all makes sense. You know, like how when you're up close looking at a mosaic you're so close to it that you can't see what the picture is and how all of this information that has just been crammed into your skull for like the past you know two or three years it's all in there you just haven't like stepped back and and saw the mosaic yet mm-hmm. and when you're able to finally like step back because you're so worried about you're very worried about, like, I'm, I'm going to screw someone's life up. Like, I'm yeah. going to mess somebody up forever. But when you finally, like, step back and you go, okay, look, this person has a problem. First, I need to assess their strengths and weaknesses. And then I have a, a, a huge array of tools at my disposal to solve their weaknesses, right? So all I need to do is pick one and implement it. And we'll... We'll help them out. We'll make their life better. You know, and now you may have 10 OTs who implement 10 different, you know, ways of helping this individual. And in all honesty, you may have one one OT. They're better OTs than I am that, that are out there. You know what I mean? So you may have one OT who, like, helps them to their, you know, 100% and they, like, any, you know, any bit of, of strength 
that they could have regained or any ability or, or whatever, you know, they regained it. Like, this is like the best OT ever. I'm probably not the greatest OT that's ever been. But if I can help someone like 90% of the way, 95% of the way, I mean, that's something. I'm doing the best that I can. That's all you can ask of me. And so assess strengths and weaknesses. Don't get too overwhelmed by, uh, you know, all of the peripheral stuff. Hey, this person's got a problem. Let's figure out what it is, and let's get them better. I'm not sure what your terminology was in school, but as I went through the program, my professor would talk about, like, your clinical reasoning and why you Mm -hmm. chose that treatment or intervention. And I remember it was towards the end, and it was right before field work, and I was like, I don't have clinical reasoning. And she was like, (laughs) yeah, 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 you haven't really developed that. She was like, you would not be here if you didn't. And it wasn't until the end of field work that I was like, wow, I know what I'm doing. And you just kind of have to have faith in yourself. Absolutely. I think it's a hard lesson to learn for students. Yeah. I'm kind of like the way our program is set up. I'm I'm not really starting field work until my third year, which is starts next semester in the summer. And so I'm two years in, and I feel like I haven't quite – I haven't even really been in the field yet. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, mm-hmm. to, like, developing that. But like you said, I, I feel like right now all I can see is the tree, and I can't mm-hmm. see the forest. Exactly. Because I do have this – foundational knowledge i just haven't really had a chance to use it yet and and i guess that will come yeah 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 when you when you get into that first field work you're i mean day one you're going to be scared to death yeah uh <laughs> cool thanks yeah so and you should be i mean it's a huge responsibility that we've taken on to you know there's someone who has this huge problem in their life and we're supposed to make them better. So, yeah, the the weight of that responsibility should scare you. If it doesn't, then you I don't know, really want you being in this field. Oh, it scares me. <laughs> so Don't even worry. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, you have to know that, like, honestly, part of this is faith in your teachers that the curriculum that they've set out before you and the things that you've gone through, the tests, are there and they're designed to help you reach this point so that when you reach this point, you'll be prepared to – know what to do and how to how to do it and let me tell you every single every single one of of my classmates and myself thought the same thing like we're scared to death we don't want to you know we're ill prepared for this and when we came back we were all like wow like i see how it all you know yeah all the tests and everything that we went through works (laughs) Uh, that's awesome um you kind of touched on this a little bit, um, talking about hunting and fishing and stuff like that. Um, can you give us some like insight into sort of the modifications that maybe um, maybe are like normal, maybe you're kind of custom made that you um, have to like do your hobbies? Sure. Um, like hunting and, and stuff like that? Um, so I had my car, it was 16 years ago. I still have the same reacher that I had from uh, the Shepherd Center. 16 years ago, still use it on a daily basis, on a regular basis. I do right now. It's, it's right beside my recliner and I use it to pull my, uh, my curtains back uh, (laughs) on the window. Exactly what it was made. Yeah, exactly what it was made to do. (laughs) We, we just got a couch. My in-laws gave us a couch. And so they, uh, the only place that we could put it was up against the wall. And it's kind of, uh, it's in the way of me getting to the curtains. So I was like, I'll take my reacher. And even before that, I still used it regularly. Uh, and I, and then I, I went and bought like an industrial reacher. So this is like a big one to pick up logs and stuff. Uh, but okay. So if I am squirrel hunting, um, 
I have a dog, and I know that's like the super most redneck. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to I see Nikki's face. I don't know if we're all going to be listening to this, but yeah. Uh, squirrel hunting. Huh. So I, I have a shotgun, and I want to be a responsible hunter, so whenever I eject my shells, they have a, they're mostly plastic, but they also have a, a, a metal part to them. And so I shoot, and you know, the shell ejects, and I may shoot two or three times. So there may be three shells on the ground. And I want to be a responsible hunter, but it's very difficult to lean down, uh, pick up these shells, and take them with me. So I got one of those uh, uh, mechanical, um, what do you call it, telescoping magnets, right, that what mechanics use to pick up like a screw if they so drop it. like falls it. in the engine well or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll use this. So they'll take that. So I just take it, and I've got it in my pocket, and I'll just and pick up my shells, and I pick them up, put them, take them with me. There you go. Like a professor that preaches right. to the board. Yeah. That's hilarious. So that's one thing uh, that I use. And then, like I said before, if I am backing up to my trailer and I don't back up quite far enough, uh, I'll use ratchet straps, automatic um, or retractable ratchet straps to kind of bring it in position it exactly where I need for it to be. Um, let me see. What else do I use? Um, I do have... Uh, a backrest on my four-wheeler as well now it's not it's not there like as i'm driving um so to tell you guys a little bit about squirrel hunting (laughs) (laughs) this is the content that our listeners are craving this is this is it right here okay uh when when my dog whose name is frankie the snitch uh when frankie the snitch trees a squirrel it's my job to go and then look up into the tree and find it and they're not just hopping around the tree all willy-nilly. They are hugging this thing for dear life, and they're laying as flat and still as possible, praying to God Almighty that I do not find them. So then it becomes this game of find the squirrel, which is really fun. So I, instead of like leaning back and looking up, which would throw me off balance because I have some balance issues yeah. with my T10, uh, I have this backrest that I just lean back on and use my binoculars and, and uh, scope around the, the tree. So you funny. sound like you have it all figured out. Uh, I don't know if I have it all figured out, but I, I just really, you know, like I really wanted to go to OT school. I just really want to kill squirrels. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> and you make it work. I absolutely love that. As so, far as, uh, also deer hunt as well. So deer hunting put a ramp onto my shooting house. And uh, and there you go. You know, I get in the shooting house, and that's really about all there is to it. Yeah. The deer hunting we do have in Massachusetts. Squirrel mm-hmm. hunting, not so much. I <laughs> oh, don't you do. They're there. I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> they may be under the radar, but they are. Oh there. my goodness. Um. So, do you have any advice for any like able-bodied therapists who are working alongside clients that are in a wheelchair? Uh. Yeah, I guess so. Um, you know, I guess this just goes for, for any, I mean, whether they're in a wheelchair or not, but don't put on the therapist voice. That is like, that is one thing that just gets on my nerves. And I'll, I'll still hear it today is when you, you guys know what I'm talking about? Like the therapist yeah, voice? Yeah. Okay. Now what we're going to do and it's what we do when we're like practicing in lab, yeah. you know, and you're, yeah talking to like your classmate like yeah okay i'm gonna need you to stand up yeah just be uh talk to them they're a normal human being uh talk to them like we're talking now uh but also one thing is don't stand 
don't stand oh if you're i mean this is just for anybody in a wheelchair don't stand as close to them as what you might normally stand to an able-bodied person um because we're craning our necks looking up at you so maybe stand back a, a couple extra steps just so that it's it's at a, a comfortable looking Right. Yeah, you know, um, one of those things. And there are some people. I'm not. I, I mean, this this makes me feel a little bit more out of place. Where they'll they'll kneel down on one knee and talk to me to get on my level, like they're your baseball coach. Yeah, and then <laughs> I feel like I, you know, are you giving me a pep talk? Or I don't, You're doing great, sweetie. <laughs> yeah. So I, that one. And some people say that they're they're cool with that. Like that's fine. Uh, so I mean, I don't know. I guess use uh, kind of. Gauge the person on that one. Don't do it with me. Just take a few yeah. steps back. What or about just like chair. yeah? I was gonna say just walking, walking up and sitting down. Yeah, yeah. Um, but honestly, I'm like the least offended person ever. So I mean, there's there's not a whole lot to do. But as far as let me think. Well, therapists specifically for therapists, huh? Able-bodied therapists. Um, yeah. You know, honestly, uh, if you are going to be working specifically with people in wheelchairs, you need to know what it's like. So before I can tell you to – this is something I did with my wife. Uh, when we got married, she was constantly like, hey, you know, how do I – you know, should I put this here? Should I put like, – is this okay, a rug? And I said, you know – I mean, and it was just like when we moved in uh, after we got married, it was just like – like she asked me 5,100 questions. And I was <laughs> like, you know what? I'm just going to bring a wheelchair home for you and i'm gonna let you spend a weekend in a wheelchair and then you won't have to ask me all these questions and you'll get it you know a little bit better and so that's what we did and she uh the questions really they they didn't stop completely but she finally understood and she was like okay i, I kind of see where you're coming from now i see why the rug is so frustrating you know i see <laughs> why you probably don't want to put the plates in the very top part of the cupboard you know uh so uh so that really helped out so if you're going to be working specifically with people in wheelchairs, you need to know what it's like. Get yourself a wheelchair, and you'll have a moment when you go, I can kind of cheat this area. Like if you're getting into the car, you'll go, well, I could just pick my foot up because it's just a couple of extra inches, so I don't have to reach all the way over there and pick the leg up. That is the moment that is most frustrating to me, so it should be the moment that's most frustrating to you. Yeah. Like, you, you'll have a moment when you go, oh, I could just cheat on this little bitty thing because I'm kind of in a rush. Those are the moments, especially when you shouldn't cheat in your empathy lab for others, because that's the moment that's most frustrating to them. So you need to understand that moment that's most frustrating. So um, have you ever had a situation where you've had a person come in for driver's rehabilitation and you've noticed a like a difference when they see, oh, this is the person that's going to be teaching me how. Yeah. Uh, it was really, it was more so someone told me about it that, that they saw our case manager said that they had a, uh, there was a, a client came in, a para, and, you know, it was just, she was reading their body language. They were very uh, anxious about what was going to go on. They were, they were nervous. They were really worked up. Uh, and she could tell that they were very tense. And then I came around the corner and she said, like, I immediately saw a change in their body language where they relaxed a little bit. And they were like, oh, well, this guy knows what's up. Uh, and so that was really cool. And, and an, another moment was a younger kid. 
he was probably 13, 14 years old, so he wasn't for for drivers. I think it may have been vehicle modifications or, or it may have been seating. Um, but I remember when he came in, his grandfather was pushing his wheelchair, and we were talking back and forth, and I was just – he was asking me all kinds of questions about how do I do this, how do you do that. And, I mean, I was, I was telling him – took him outside and showed him how to pop a wheelie, how to walk a wheelie across uh, uneven terrain. And when he left, uh, his grandpa started to push him out. And he looked back, and he was like – he's like kind of pushed his grandfather's hands away. He's like, no, nah, I've got it. And I was just like, I mean – Oh made my, my day. That's awesome. I mean, it was like the, the, the best moment of OT that I've ever had. And I was like, that, that kid's going to make it. He's going to be good. <laughs> that kind of relates to one of the questions I wanted to ask you. <laughs> was there ever a moment where you knew this is the job that you were supposed to do and like something happened and it solidified your reason for being an OT? The, that was it. That was yeah. the moment. If That's I've ever had a moment, I mean, that was, that was truly it. Um, I've had a lot, I've had quite a few moments of like, you know, those moments when you're, when you're like, yes, all right, winning at life. Like this is, things are going right. And that was, uh, that was, I've had a few of those, but that is one that stands uh, head and shoulders above all the other ones. There, I was on field work and it was a very small moment. um, But this woman with uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome, she was having trouble walking and I think she wanted to walk faster and sooner than she was um and she was crying and I just looked at her and I said do you just want to hug and she just nodded and I hugged her for four (laughs) minutes like straight and I still talk to her to this day and like I feel she made an impact on my life as much as I may have for her that day and yeah I love that about our job that we get to do that every single day oh it's 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 amazing yeah Awesome. Is there any other job that you would have done besides occupational therapy? So this is one of those things. If I hadn't have had, uh, if I hadn't become a paraplegic, I probably wouldn't have become um, an occupational therapist. I uh, wow. beforehand, I was a, uh, I was a full-on jock. <laughs> I mean, a hardcore, uh, just a physical being, you know. And I really do feel like if I hadn't have done that, and I, I still would like to have uh, uh, served in the armed forces or have become a firefighter those for some reason those two have a, a strong appeal towards me yeah i could see that That's awesome. you know because yeah. i've known you for 40 minutes so <laughs> yeah you, you're obviously a very like determined person both of those jobs yeah. take a lot of determination definitely all right we have some uh, fun questions for you at the Sweet. end you have to not look at my computer screen so i can say them this is our lightning round are you ready i'm ready Okay. Um, three items on a desert island. Do they have to be survival? Three. I mean, or is it like... No. Any, yeah, dude. Anything. I mean, I would obviously take a cell phone. Cell phone? Uh, a... Let me see. Cell phone? I mean, a large, a large portion of, of water and a large portion of food. There we go. Awesome. Beautiful. I'm very practical. Um, Frodo or Sam? Frodo. Um, that was so fast. One, yeah. <laughs> one meal for the rest of your life? Teddy, one meal for the rest of your life. Oh, one meal. Uh, it would be fried chicken, gravy, and biscuits. All right. Oh, wow. All right. Cake or pie? And mashed potatoes. And mashed oh, potatoes. that's a big meal. 
Cake or pie? Yours? Cake or pie? Yeah. Cake. Yeah. Hardest yeah. class at... Oh, sorry. No, you got it. Hardest class in OT school. Neuroanatomy. Oh, yeah. Easy. Neuro was so hard for me. Beach or mountains? Mountains. Easy. Easy. Yeah. Favorite movie? <laughs> I'll give you one movie that is in my top ten, undoubtedly, is Tombstone. But I cannot say that it is, without a doubt, my favorite movie. Describe it in three words or less. <laughs> Most amazing western. There you go. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. There you have it. Wow. Do you think we did everything? Yeah. Oh, there was a good one I think we didn't talk about. Okay. Um, how do you see the field of occupational therapy developing in the next 10 years? Oh, gosh. I'm probably oh, no. the least qualified person to answer that. <laughs> That's a loaded question. How do you yeah, see right. it? How do I see it? Well, I can, I can speak for my field. Yeah, um, that works. I can't speak for occupational therapy. Yeah. Um, for driver's rehabilitation, I hope to be put out of a job in the next 10 years. Uh, if we can swap over to these automatic driving cars, then that means everybody will have the ability to have their own independence, and they can come and go as they please. Oh, that's cool. Okay, so that's one thing that I've really had my eye on, and I realize that it will put me out of a job. <laughs> um, but at the same time, uh, there's a lot of other fields of occupational therapy that I can go into. Like, I'll be okay. But if everyone can have their, their independence, and you take, you know, this kid who grew up with, uh, severe cerebral palsy and they, they just don't have the ability to drive, but now they can go from point A to point B independently with uh, a self-driving car. They can work. They can have just such a, a better quality of life. So that's one place that I, I hope and see, um, in 10 years, I think it's going to take, a, I think it's going to take a little bit longer maybe than 10 years, but, yeah. um, Oh, gosh, I don't know. At the speed of technology right now, it could be 10 years. Yeah. It could be five years. So if you're listening, Elon Musk. Yeah. <laughs> and you need an occupational therapist yeah. to potentially put out of a job. <laughs> yeah. Um, I remember, and maybe we can end on this. I, I remember he read seeing... two books a day. Have you ever heard that? No. I heard he read two books a day. I don't know if that's currently or at some point in time, but that that's seems a bit of a stretch. That's a lot. It? Yeah. That is a lot. And what books? Like, I don't even, I wouldn't know. I mean. And if you told me to come up with two books every day after a few days, I'd be like, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm out. I don't, I don't own that. Definitely book. not yeah. neuroanatomy. Yeah, sure. yeah, right. He wasn't reading Gray's Anatomy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, I remember seeing on Facebook recently um, that you and your wife went to um, Yellowstone. Is that right, Yellowstone? Well, yeah, yeah. And you were talking about some of the accessibility features that you saw. Can you the, tell us about the that? The most amazingly wheelchair accessible terrain ever. I mean, as far as like a, an outside, uh, you know, national park goes, this place is amazing because they, what they really, I mean, what they were doing is kind of a twofold thing. It's like they want to make sure that we have uh, really good bicycle trails for everybody, thereby creating wheelchair trails, yeah. right? Uh, but they also had a hand cycle there that you could rent. I mean, like they had oh, bicycles cool. for people to rent, but they also had a hand cycle. And what? so... Uh, we went, I mean, we had a blast. We had, uh, places that were, uh, we actually went during when all the power outages and fires and stuff were happening. So yeah. it was, we ran into some, some different <laughs> things, that's for sure. 
but yeah, I mean, as far as, as actually going to see Yosemite National Park, it was amazingly accessible. That's so cool. I said Yellowstone. I meant to say Yosemite. Yeah. Yosemite. I'll just say Yosemite right now, and they'll just put it in. Yosemite. They probably won't do You it. should probably say Yosemite National Park. Yosemite You should probably National just do the Park. whole thing over again. That's probably so Eric, I hear you. You're in your life. <laughs> yeah, you say it for me. Um, I think we got everything. I know. So I'm fun. a little worried at how much weight you put on them editing stuff out. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I think so we you guys, uh, so tell me, like, how did y'all get this? I don't even, I mean, I thought you, you. Before One funny story with Garrison oh, yeah. here. We're on the road, and... Uh, I didn't know if I could tell the story, so yeah. I didn't. <laughs> we're on the road, and we're going to see a client. We're coming back, and we just so happened to pass uh, a trampoline park. And yeah. he says, he just looks over at it, and he goes, Oh, man, have you ever been to a trampoline park? They're so fun. And I said, No, no, I, I can't say that I have, man. I've never been to one. And I was just going to let it slide. <laughs> and then... A couple of seconds go by, and he just turns and looks at me with the biggest, like, gerbil eyes. Of like, I am so sorry. I said, no, no, like, it's cool. Like, we could go, and yeah, I'll we, get on your then back. Then we talked about how we could probably get it to work. We really probably could pull it off. I yeah. think we could. I mean, the things that you've accomplished, I'm sure you could. I feel confident that I could. Um, I just, I mean, my only question is, is Garrison's leg strength. It's, I mean, probably not much. The last yeah. time I went to a trampoline park, I like didn't walk for the next couple days. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so tired. So sore. Oh my goodness. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Thank you to the student contributors. If you liked it, please subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google. You can also follow us on social media on Facebook at MyOTJourney and on Instagram at MyOTJourneyPodcast. Thanks for listening. Go OT!